0: Let's journey back to Ecclesiastes chapter 1 this morning together. I appreciate your willingness to allow me to preach God's word in Germany. Uh, We had a wonderful time there. God allowed us to minister to missionaries from four different countries in in Europe. He also gave you the opportunity to spread the gospel together. Uh, This is really encouraging. There was a missionary that came there from the country of Georgia. And the Lord's given him opportunities to have gospel ministry work uh, done in the Ukraine, Russia, Turkey, and in the 1040 window. And the Lord's built there uh, a network of hundreds and hundreds of pastors, some who are, who are ministering in closed countries, uh, who, are, who are a persecuted group. He's brought those folks just through this time in Germany to our attention so that we could have an awareness of who they are and an opportunity to minister to them. Isn't that wonderful? Who would have ever thought? Uh, When we look at our gospel global map, where we're trying to identify like-minded partners throughout the whole world, there was a big gaping hole in that map where we didn't have any partners. And through going to speak to missionaries from France... Germany, Ireland, England, and Austria, there happened to be a guy there from Georgia who has all of these contacts into all these countries. And he's, he's asked our church if we'd be willing to partner in strengthening that group of often hurting churches. What a great opportunity, right? So we'll keep you updated on that. So thank you for letting me be gone. I know Pastor Hobie and the other fellows always do a great job in handling God's word while I'm gone Last Sunday was a tremendous answer to prayer. We're continuing to follow up on those gospel opportunities. And uh, it's a great Easter Sunday, wasn't it? And uh, so now we're back in the book of Ecclesiastes uh, for this week. And uh, I'd like to give you a proposition this morning, and then we'd like to read verses 12 to 18 of chapter 1. The main idea or the proposition behind this morning's sermon is simply this. You are to enjoy your pursuit of human wisdom. You are to enjoy your pursuit of human wisdom while you understand that only God's wisdom ultimately satisfies. Okay? You are to. You're expected to. The text is going to tell us that. You're expected to pursue human wisdom while we understand ultimately it will only be God's wisdom that satisfies And Jesus is the wisdom of God. Okay? So truly, only wisdom will satisfy when we know the wonderful counselor, Jesus Christ himself. Let's read our text here, beginning in verse 12 of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. I, the preacher or teacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. Sounds similar to verse 1 of chapter 1, doesn't it? stating his position here for good reason. And I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. It is a grievous task. Here it is. And who gave us the task? God. God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, Behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge, and I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I realize that this also is striving after the wind, because in much wisdom there is much grief, and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. We've all been asked by God to subdue the earth and have dominion over it. Would you agree? In the text before us, Solomon even states that the Lord has laid a heavy burden upon us all. In the second half of verse 13, he calls it a grievous task, which God has given to all the sons of Adam. Everyone that's ever been created in the image of God, those image bearers are given a task to pursue wisdom. As we read through the text, you may have noticed that something was missing, though. Wisdom is mentioned five times in this short passage. But what kind of wisdom is it that we're asked to pursue? Not only is this task, to know wisdom, a task given by God within the dominion mandate, but notice how many times Solomon uses the words, my mind or myself. Three times he speaks of using his mind to pursue wisdom. And there's one use of the reflexive program, uh, pronoun myself. He's king in Jerusalem, the man who by God's personal will has been gifted to be, remember First Kings chapter 3, you need to remember that if you're joining us for the first time in this study. Solomon was asked of the Lord to offer God one chief request, and it was wisdom, give me discernment and wisdom, rather than riches and fame. And God granted him that, and he became known historically and biblically as the wisest man, really the smartest guy uh, ever to live outside of the Lord Jesus Christ after the fall. So he's king. God's answered this prayer request for discernment and wisdom. But to me and to us this morning, by a mere cursory reading of the text, it's glaringly obvious, as we meditate in the passage, that though this task that God asks all of us to do, which is to know wisdom, that Solomon is reflecting on a time in his life when he did this alone and not walking with God. So it's very interesting. He says here that this, there's a mandate by our Creator to know wisdom. But remember, Solomon writes the book of Ecclesiastes later on in his kingly career after he's repented. He's had a significant time in his life where he's walked away from God. He repents. God allows him to give us this wisdom literature in Ecclesiastes. And remember, he's going back now through the book and he's reminding us how he lived his life apart from God, even doing what God expected him to do. That's bizarre, isn't it? that you could do what God wanted you to do and not walk with God. And he says it's futile. But he says here, I did pursue wisdom as God had asked us to do, only I didn't do it walking with God. And now take these verses as somewhat of a divine warning to all of us to understand how futile And temporary man's wisdom is apart from an intimate walk with our Creator. Pursuing anything that God calls us to do while putting our relationship with Him aside will never bring ultimate satisfaction. Would you agree? Pursuing any good thing that God asks us to pursue apart from a walk with Him, will never bring ultimate satisfaction. So I would ask you this morning, are you walking with God? Are you pursuing the good things that God's asked us to pursue in His Word, including wisdom, including your profession, including your education, while you're walking with God too? As we recall... Solomon is a preacher. He's a teacher. He now is a spirit-dominated educator of God's wisdom. And he has some things to say to us in relationship to our spirit-filled pursuit of human wisdom that I think will be helpful to us as well. I want you to cross-reference here, uh, just because of time this morning, uh, some New Testament texts that I'm going to highlight, we're not going to turn to and read, okay? I want you to write down here in 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 the margin of your Bibles, James chapter 3, okay? James chapter 3. At the end of James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18... James outlines for us two kinds of wisdom. He outlines for us human wisdom and God's wisdom. What he outlines at the end of James chapter 3 in relationship to human wisdom, he's not saying that human wisdom is wrong. He couldn't be saying that. Because Solomon's told us God's given us the task to know human wisdom, only do it with God. But what he's describing here in human wisdom, or earthly wisdom that James calls it, is what earthly wisdom looks like when you try to pursue it apart from God. It's what it looked like in Solomon's life. He says in verse 13, "'Who among you is wise and understanding? "'Let him show this by his good behavior, "'his deeds and his gentleness of wisdom. "'But if you have bitter jealousy "'and selfish ambition in your heart, "'do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth.'" This wisdom is not that which comes from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? That's pretty descript. But he's saying that's what pursuing human wisdom will look like if you do it without walking with God. And that to me is a, is a very to me it's an amazing truth. That we can make a mess out of something God asks us to do just by merely not walking with him. He goes on to explain heavenly wisdom. He goes on over into chapter 4 in verses 13 to 17. And he talks about what I've called practical atheism. Who are you to say, I'm going to get up, I'm going to go buy, sell, get gain, I'm going to do this, that, or the other, and you've never asked God what his will is? Solomon found himself, or James would have, I would have put Solomon in James chapter 3, verses 13, 14, and 15, and he would have put Solomon in James chapter 4, verses 13, 14, and 15. As a man that was pursuing human wisdom, but he forgot to consider God along the way, leading himself to temporary ruin until repentance, where he's able to get back in a spirit-governed manner and way and, and, and pursue wisdom as God had asked him to pursue it. I want to let you know, I think the Bible does tell us that there is a difference between human wisdom and godly wisdom. We know that Jesus is the wisdom of God, that it was enfleshed to all the world. We know that. The same writer of Ecclesiastes wrote Proverbs, and, and he tells us multiple times there, pursue wisdom. Pursue wisdom. And that is uniquely wisdom that is tied to what God has said and how we should do what God has said. Are you with me? Amen. That's, that's divine spiritual wisdom. But there is a human wisdom that God, according to this test, text, has also asked us to pursue as part of the dominion mandate because there is practical wisdom that even his foliage image bearers can offer that's good because they're his image bearers. But even if we pursue that, apart from an intimate walk with God, we'll lead our lives to um, meaninglessness, purposelessness, right? living for that which is merely and only temporary. Okay, so let's be careful. Now back to our passage. You're expected to enjoy human wisdom and to pursue it, but always understand that that pursuit will lead to meaninglessness apart from understanding God's wisdom. There are really two sections to this passage. I want you to understand these sections per their verses. Verses 12 to 15 is the first section. Verses 16 to 18 is the second section. Both sections finish with a concluding proverb that is pretty much a restatement of the section that was just given to us. So verses 12, 13, and 14 is the wisdom content that Solomon wants us to understand, and verse 15 is a proverb of conclusion that re-explains... With the timeless truth, that which has already been given in the previous verses. <clears throat> Look at verses 16 and 17. There certainly is another specific angle that we're asked to pursue wisdom, but by the time we get to verse 18, we find a second concluding proverb that summarizes the truth, what's been given to us in verses 16 and 17. Many authors believe, and I would probably agree with them, I don't want to get too complex and lead you astray and off, ta- off, off track of our topic this morning, but many believe that verses 12, 13, and 14 is really much a summary restatement of what we've already learned in verses 1 through 11. Only he begins to compartmentalize out here one specific part of verses 1 through 11, which is our pursuit our mandate of pursuit of human wisdom. So, let's give a a brief title or statement in relationship to the truth found here in verses 12 to 15. Always remember that what ultimately happens in our lives, what ultimately happens in our lives will often outwit your best thinking or your best planning what often happens in our lives will often outwit your best planning. The Bible teaches, the same author teaches in Proverbs, man plans, but God what? God directs. We are to pursue human wisdom in planning while we step back and understand while we're walking with God that he might have a redirection that's actually best for us. And that's really what he's saying here. Solomon's saying, boy, I really wish I wouldn't have walked away from God. I wish I could have walked through a chunk of my kingly career with God understanding this because I didn't understand this and I lived in great depression because I didn't understand that. I knew it. I wrote about it, but I didn't live it. And it frustrated my life. It is incredibly painful for us to make plans, take a painstaking amount of time, to detail out plans and to pursue a goal and get just up to the ninth hour of achieving that goal, only to have God do what? Nope, you're going here. Has anyone ever done that? Probably every hand in the, in the room could be raised, right? Making plans. That's why James says, make your plans, but do so according to God's will. <laughs> Ask Him what His will is. But think about living decades of your life pursuing plans that God asked you to pursue, but not consulting Him along the way too. There's no willingness or ability even at that point for readjustment. Because readjustment at that ninth hour for in a believer has to be graced from heaven. (laughs) There's no other way to adjust unless you're walking with God. But he says here, I wish I would have remembered that ultimately what happens in my life will often outwit your best thinking. It's easy for us to remember that this is a man who had reached his highest level of human ambition in his career. And what many people would consider any man's career. What could be higher than being a king of the world, or the king of a nation. We've already stated he'd been personally gifted by God to be the best at his pursuit and of even knowing human wisdom. So he's just at the highest position. He's known the best wisdom. He's known how to pursue that wisdom. He's known how to put that wisdom to action. He says in verse 13, he set his mind to seek and explore wisdom. Those are two powerful verbs. He was very comprehensive in his approach. He left no stone unturned in his pursuit of understanding human wisdom, what man knows. He says in verse 13, if you weren't really sure how concise and comprehensive my search was, I studied everything that was under the sun. (laughs) Every pursuit known to man as the smartest guy in the world only not walking with God, I pursued it. I wanted to know it all. I wanted to be engaged in this grievous task that God had given the sons of Adam to be afflicted with. He concludes that he had seen in verse 14 all the works that had been done under the sun. He had been successful at it he'll reveal a bit later in chapter 2 that we'll study the next time we're together and beyond that he had investigated every aspect of pleasure in life he've investigated every aspect of recreation culture sightseeing the arts business finance medicine stem if you will science technology engineering and mathematics complex and intricate one-of-a-kind construction projects he'd experienced it all and he came to be the the specialist if you will in the whole world at that time of all those things but he pursued all those things for a significant part of his life apart from God And he says that is very very distressing very meaningless. He says in verse 14 that it was vanity. It was just temporary value. and It was like striving after the wind. Temporary value, no eternal value, pointless and often misguided, but I did it, and it left me empty. We are asked, to, we are asked by God to pursue human wisdom in every aspect of life, We're never going to be able to do it. Anyone in this room or anyone in the world like Solomon did it. But as per our life, our vocation, we're asked to pursue it. While doing what? Doing what the last verse of the text of the book says. Only do so fearing God and keeping his commandments, right? Kidner in his commentary says this, and I don't like to read long excerpts in sermons for a lot of reasons, but I think what he says here is helpful. It's a re-explanation of what we've just said here. Solomon bends his energies to a project worthy of his aesthetic gifts, his grasp of skills and sciences, and his ability to command a great establishment. He creates a little world within a world, multi-form, harmonious, exquisite, a secular garden of Eden, full of civilized and agreeably uncivilized delights, with no forbidden fruits, or none that he regards as such. He has had the sense for all this to avoid the rich man's boredom by strenuous activity, enjoyed and valued for its own sake, and he has kept on a, an appraising eye on his projects, even while in full pursuit of them. My wisdom remained with me, he would proclaim. He has not lost sight of the quest, the search for meaning, which was the mainspring of it all, In the end, what he did find while doing this good thing without God is this, a less exacting mind than the teacher would have found a great deal to report with satisfaction. The best of the best is still left understanding their pursuits as just simply being temporary and oft times misguided. Think of all those who are here this morning who are pursuing man's wisdom because God's commanded you to do that as part of the dominion mandate. There are those in the room this morning that are pursuing cures for cancers, remedies for infertility, or you're pursuing just being able to have a child. Endless pursuits. Answers regarding the making of a part that the military might need for a plane or a ship in your machine shop, because the first one to create it is the one that gets the contract. Some of you are trying to figure out how the best hospital administration functions. How do I perform this piece of music so it propels my career to the next level? Some of you are preparing your body for extreme sports events or to be able to succeed at the highest athletic ability of the sport that you play. I'm going to reach that quota at work, so I'll be the employee of the month and maybe climb that corporate ladder to the highest level within my organization. I'll be a part of helping our government give people in the U.S. the safest environments to live in. And we keep pursuing, and we keep pursuing, and we keep pursuing because having a safe country and community is nice, isn't it? Regardless of your pursuits, there's enjoyment in the pursuit for sure. We're asked to pursue it. We're asked to gain the knowledge and the working towards ultimate goals within what God's created us to do. What of those who have reached their highest potential? And would say, yeah, I'm living the dream. And what of those who did all the right things with the right work ethic and their dream never came true? Regardless, whether you're succeeding or just maintaining in these ultimate pursuits, this relentless pursuit of knowing human wisdom so you can get to your ultimate goal. All of it is nothing but grievous and affliction if we decide to do it without walking with God. Isn't it somewhat grievous and affliction to pursue all these things and invest all these hours and all these energies even if we do walk with God? It's still hard to reconcile why I, I was told to do this, 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 and this. And so this would happen. I was guaranteed this would happen. And then, no. Even while we're walking with God and something like that comes up, even that is hard to comprehend. And we need grace to persevere through that trial. what ultimately happens in our lives does often outwit our best thinking, planning and doing, so we need to do this with God he says here in the proverb that concludes this section what is crooked cannot be straightened what does this mean? Some believe this is simply means that you can't change the past, so pick yourself up by your bootstraps and get moving again. Right? Possibly. Possibly. Others would seem to be more clearly grasping the text. One author said, many puzzles of life will totally resist the best experience and brain energy you can throw at them. Sometimes God will have you keep hitting a wall until we ultimately embrace who really is in control of our circumstances anyway. And that's so true, isn't it? Even while walking with God, it takes some of us, like me with thicker heads, to actually surrender ourselves to that truth. God might have a better way than your best way. How bizarre. Right? We wrestle with that in our hearts. You perfected your sport and were promised the world, but. You've spent thousands of dollars with fertility doctors in different offices, but what? You've raised your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, but what is crooked cannot be straightened. Just don't ever go through these things without God. His ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not your thoughts. He says here in the second part of the proverb, what is lacking cannot be counted. Walter Kaiser, in his commentary, states this about what that phrase means. No investigation is going to be able to make up what is deficient and lacking from anything in this world. So much is lacking, it boggles the mind to even begin to contemplate the deficiencies. Remember, the smartest man in the world that ever lived is writing the text. He had pursued every profession in life and known it to its most granular proportion, and yet still there was more to be known. What is lacking cannot be counted. Continues to say the proverb summarizes the fruit of Solomon's search, on a horizontal and terrestrial plane. The problem calls for a solution greater than the sum of all of its parts. Fear God and keep His commandments. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not under your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will what make your paths straight. First Peter three fourteen. In the midst of all your trials, find your way to entrusting your heart to a faithful creator while you continue to do good things. 1 Peter chapter 5, 4, 5, 6, and 7. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand and he will exalt you in due time. Cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. Trusting and walking with God is not a blind trust and a blind walk because our best way may not be his infinite way. And the second thing we learn here in the verses to follow in verses 16 to 18 is simply this. Those who are the wisest are not that that much better off than the rest of us. Those who are the wisest aren't that much better off than the rest of us. I want to read for you real quickly if I can find it. Did I leave my phone down there? I did. Did you guys ever read uh, Stephen Jobs' final essay that he wrote before he died? It's a fascinating essay. Um, And I think it's actually really good because it really describes a lot of Solomon's wisdom. And uh, I wanted to read that for you here this morning as we head towards our conclusion. Uh, This is what he wrote. This is simply titled, Stephen Jobs Died a Billionaire at Age 56. This is his final essay. He said, I reached the pinnacle of success in the business world. In some others' eyes, my life is the epitome of success. However, aside from work, I have little joy. In the end, my wealth is only a fact. Of life that I am accustomed to. At this moment, lying on my bed and recalling my life, I realize that all the recognition and the wealth that I took to such, such pride in have paled and became meaningless in the face of my death. You can employ someone to drive the car for you, make money for you, but you cannot have someone bear your sickness for you. Material things lost can be found or replaced, but there is one thing that can never be found when it's lost, life. Whichever stage in life you are right now, what time, you will face the day when the curtain comes down. Treasure love for your family, love for your spouse, love for your friends. Treat yourself well and cherish others. As we grow older and hopefully wiser, we realize that a $300 or a $30 watch both tell time the same way. You will realize that your true inner happiness does not come from the material things of this world. Whether you fly first class or economy, if the plane goes down, you both die. (laughs) Okay, true. Therefore, I hope you realize... When you have the mates, buddies, and old friends, brothers and sisters you can chat with, laugh with, talk with, have sing songs with, talk about north, south, east, and west, or heaven and earth, that is true happiness. Don't educate your children to be rich. Educate them to be happy. So when they grow up, they will know the value of things and not the price. Eat your food as your medicine, otherwise you'll have to eat medicine as your food. The one who loves you will never leave you for another because even if there are 100 reasons to give up, he or she will find a reason to hold on. There's a big difference between a human being and being human. Only a few really understand it. You are loved when you are born You will be loved when you die. In between, you have to manage. The six best doctors in the world are sunlight, rest, exercise, diet, self-confidence, and friends. Maintain them in all stages and enjoy a healthy life. There's a lot of wisdom in that, isn't there? But it's merely human wisdom. Because everything he mentions in there that is of good value is temporary in nature. Except for mentioning heaven. He would say, He who dies, he who has the most toys, still dies, right? So grab all you can get. Grab all the good you can get. Grab all the good human wisdom you can get. And Solomon is saying the same thing do this but fear God and keep his commandments in the meantime. Those who are the wisest are not much better off than the rest of us. Solomon is simply saying here in verse 16, Behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all those who were over me in Jerusalem before me, speaking of the kings that preceded him. And my mind has observed wealth of wisdom and knowledge. This is good human wisdom. What's he saying? Certainly it's obvious. He understands the nature of the difference between that which is material and human. Enjoy the family, enjoy the friends, but without God, even this is chasing the wind. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? He goes on to say, in verse Number 17, And I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I realize this also is striving after the wind. That's a fascinating couple statements for me. I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. Why why are the three connected as we close? What is madness? This is the person who avoids making reasonable decisions because they've been trying to figure things out on their own. So they find satisfaction in people, relationships, substances, or vices that make no sense and lead even to more destruction. Basically what he's saying here, this is madness. The root for the Hebrew word madness here just simply means this. You can pursue a good thing as far as you want to pursue it and still end up empty and confused. And if you're empty and confused and you're there without a walk with God, where will you go? You will be forced to madness. You will be forced to cover, satiate, placate that pain in your soul of a lack of success and a lack of progress with a bottle, with an opioid, with a substance, with a bad relationship, You'll always be trying to go through the madness of masking or covering the pain or trying to fill the void. And Solomon said, I did that. I tried the substances. I tried the women. I tried everything. And it led to more madness because I did it without God. And that's the bizarre part about the whole thing. You can actually go to madness pursuing something God's asked you to pursue. And you will if you don't do it with him. And that's any part of life, isn't it? But he said there's folly. I had a basketball coach that told me one time, the test of your character is what it takes to stop you. That was good for basketball. Somewhat good for life. Folly is simply behaving rashly when under unexpected pressure. Kidner says in relationship to folly, both refer to moral, both... Madness and folly refer to moral perversity rather than mental oddity. In other words, he's saying both are what we pursue when we've come to the end of our pursuit and things didn't turn out the way we thought they would and we're there without God. I'm going to pursue folly. I'm going to make some irrational decisions because that's all I got left. Because all I've got is the end of human wisdom without God. I don't have God's wisdom. And so I will do something rationally under unexpected pressure. And he says, I realized all this was striving after the wind. I wish I would have walked with God through all this. Trusting God is the ultimate stability for an unstable, hurting soul. Stop trying to wrap your mind around the unending mysteries of the pursuit of human wisdom. You'll never be able to wrap your mind around it. Trust God and continue to do good things. Finding life in him and soul rest in him is the beginning of wisdom. Jesus said... Come unto me, all you who are laboring and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Why? Because it's going to give you rest to your soul. Jesus is the only wise one that can offer soul rest. Things aren't working out. He must be the anchor that keeps your soul steadfast and sure of the billows roll. Left to ourselves, we're flawed, even as his image bearers, and even as having him as our creator. There must be spiritual life beyond the temporary knowledge of human wisdom. And so he concludes with a proverb in verse 18, because in much wisdom there is much grief, and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. One author said, Wisdom, when viewed apart from that wisdom which comes from the fear of God, increases grief instead of bringing relief to the question of profit. Another author writes, Man's wisdom alone dethrones God and deifies man, pretending to give him laws and regulations whereby to make himself happy. Solomon says, no, just walk with God, fear Him, and keep His commandments. And He'll guide you each step of the way on that straight path. Kidner in his commentary, I'm going to give you, um, I have uh, three minutes left here. May, may I offer you uh, four simple practical helps or conclusions by way of conclusion this morning of how to walk with God? While you're pursuing human wisdom. right? Practical help number one. Kidner says, human wisdom is always seeking explanations while godly wisdom offers promises. Know and trust the promises of God. When human explanation cannot satisfy or can't even explain, we've got to go find our way back to what God says. What is thus saith the Lord? Prioritize your time. Wisely prioritize your time to make sure that you're actually spending time with God. A pastor I heard recently said this: "Your problem is not time because you watch TV. Your problem isn't energy because you play softball and you rec- you exercise regularly. Your problem isn't money because you have two cars, satellite TV, and a smartphone, an electric start mower." He said your problem is priority. Find your time to walk with God. Look to his promises and not merely human explanation. When we walk with God and we know human wisdom with his guidance, life takes on a completely different purpose. I think of number three suggestion, Colossians 4. How about knowing God's wisdom, which will compel us to be his wisdom among those who don't know his Son? Some Christians' lives are so broken because they keep pursuing human wisdom without God, they never get to the point where they can be an evangelistic influence of God's wisdom to those who need Jesus. And what does Paul saying in Colossians chapter four, verses two through six? Walk with wisdom towards those who are on the outside. Conduct yourself with the same wisdom. So when that opportunity arises to speak of Jesus, you take advantage of that opportunity. Can I just tell you this? Healthy believers are evangelizing believers. That's what Paul's saying there. People who pursue human wisdom while they walk with God will know God's wisdom, and they're not going to be living their lives always putting Band-Aids on their spiritual wounds, always needing another conference on marriage, always needing another counseling session on substance abuse, always needing another counseling session on addiction to pornography. At some point, the believer's got to be healthy enough by walking with God to step out into the culture and speak Christ. 95% 95% of American evangelicals have never won a soul to Christ. So, how unhealthy are we? Can you learn God's wisdom without walking with God? Intellectually, you can. Maybe some of us do that every Sunday. Walking with God, right, is the fear of God, which is the wisdom of God, which is the living of God in our culture. Principle number four, and we close, is just simply this. Don't forget to keep life simple. Pursuing human wisdom is going to exhaust you. Do it, don't do it without walking with God. But keep it simple. What does it say at the end of our section, which we're crescendoing to in the next couple weeks? Eat, drink, and what? Be merry. (laughs) Enjoy the simple things that God's given you to do. Keep life simple. Do it. Stop and smell the spiritual roses. When life is becoming painstakingly, Hard because you're always striving to figure it out, don't forget God has gifted you to do something every day. Simple things. Eat, drink, and be merry while you're walking with him. Don't miss those simple, joyful things. You think about that. Eating, drinking, and being happy. All of us can do that every day. Right, If we're doing it, what? Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Let's pray together. Our Father, we love you. We thank you for the simple principles from this text that help guide our lives. We are thankful, Lord, that you've taught us this morning that what ultimately happens in our lives will often outwit our best thinking. So we need to walk with you. We thank you, Lord, that we've learned that those who are wisest are not often much better than we are. Help us to walk with you and know you, to trust you, and to be light for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.